Pastors Larry and Tiz Huck welcome you to another Larry Huck Ministries podcast. We pray this teaching will fill you with God's wisdom, anointing, and revelation knowledge. Thank you for your prayers and faithful support. We want to teach on the journey before Jesus went to the cross. Now we know that the most important thing, and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on Sunday, and we've got some really, really neat stuff for you Sunday. So make sure you come and make sure you bring somebody. Let's get somebody saved. Listen, I don't think there's been a more important time in history than talking about Jesus standing for the kingdom of God and letting our loved ones know that God is the answer to everything. Amen? Very important time. But instead of uh, just talking about the crucifixion tonight, I want to talk about the journey that Jesus took when he shed his blood. Read with me in the book of Luke chapter 22, and for the sake of time, let's start with verse 39. And coming out, now they've just had Passover. You, you, everybody knows, but we have thousands and thousands of people with us on stream and always new people. And we're so glad of that. And so if I reiterate something over and over again, you have to understand we have to bring new people up along with us. When we talk about taking the Lord's Supper or communion, which we will do Sunday together as a family of God, what was taking place what was, was called Passover. Now, we went over that last, last Friday night and Jesus gathers his disciples together and they have Passover. This is what we call the Lord's Supper. But it has great, great teachings that we need to understand to understand what Jesus did for us on the journey to Calvary. So this teaching right here is they've just had Passover meal um, they're preparing, Jesus is preparing for them, for him to be arrested. And they're on their journey where Jesus shed his blood seven different times. All right, read with me in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 39. And coming out, coming out of where they had the meal, he went to Mount of Olives and he was, as he was accustomed, and his disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it's, if it's your will, remove this cup from me. Nonetheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, what I want you to understand tonight is that if all Jesus did, and I say this everywhere I teach, if all Jesus did was die for our sins so that we could be forgiven and make heaven our home, we couldn't praise him enough, we couldn't thank him enough, we couldn't worship him enough, just think about that. 
Somebody has to die for my sin and your sin. And Jesus took that place. If that's all he did, we ought to give him praise and give him glory every moment of our day. Amen? But that's not all he did. Remember, Jesus said, I've come to give you life, and I've come to give you that life more abundant. So Jesus didn't just come and die and say, all right, you're on your own. Good luck. I hope you make it. I hope you're okay. And someday I'll see you in heaven. No, he came and he walked what's called the Via Dolorosa, the road of suffering. Now, I've been to, I've been to Israel 38 times. And as soon as the, the borders open up and everybody's safe, we're going to take another tour to Israel. If you've never been to Israel, uh, you need to go because it will change your life. I mean, it literally will change your life. And even if you've gone, if you've never gone with us, you get a different tour because we give you a Jewish Jesus and a Jewish Moses and a Jewish Paul. We've had so many pastors say, man, I've never seen it like this because all of a sudden the world's eyes are being opened and we're realizing we're worshiping a Jesus who was an Orthodox rabbi, never stopped being Jewish, born Jewish, lived Jewish, died Jewish, never stopped being Jewish. And this is one of the great revelations of our days that our eyes would be open and we'll begin to understand things that we've never understood before. Amen. Now, when we go on these tours, every once in a while, we'll go to a church site where the Catholic church or the Greek Orthodox church or the Russian Orthodox church or somebody says, here's what happened in Jesus' life at this place, or here's the Mount of Transfiguration. And sometimes, you know, that it happened right there. But sometimes you're not sure it happened there. You know, it happened somewhere there. And so somebody built a church and said, here's where it happened. And everybody goes and visit that. And that's fine. But several years ago, we went to a church. And most of the time, like I said, we don't go to churches. We go to the actual sites. But we went to a church that history says was where Pontius Pilate lived and where Jesus was uh, imprisoned, uh, where the cock crowed three times and where Jesus had walked past that place on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. They arrested him, the story we just read, and they walked him back up this way and brought him before Pilate. Now, number one is there are ancient steps there that you can't walk on. You're not allowed to walk on, but there are ancient steps there right from Pilate's, what they say was Pilate's house, where Jesus was held overnight and condemned, where Peter denied him and the cock crowed. There are ancient steps and you, you can follow, you, you're not allowed to, but you, if you did, you could follow them and they go right down to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is, you know, what, a mile and a mile and a half away, something like that. And so in that, I'm pretty sure it's the right place. But there is a dungeon room in that church, in that building, that they say Jesus was lowered down into and kept in complete darkness until Pilate condemned him. And uh, 
It has a spiritual anointing in that place like no other place, uh, no other church that I've ever been to in Israel. In fact, I think it was, was it Virginia that sang there? Or it was Virginia that sang, huh? Well, Virginia and Gwen sang. And who? Gwen. Gwen, that's right. Yeah, Virginia and Gwen sang. And boy, I'm telling you, there is, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, from, I'm from the streets. I'm not, a, I'm not a crier, but man, you can feel the presence of God. And so this is the journey that Jesus began. And, and, you know, the Bible says, my people destroyed for what reason? Lack of knowledge. If you were to ask most Christians, finish this scripture, we're redeemed by the and then you were to ask most Christians, where did you, and I do this, I do this all the time when I travel, if I'm going to teach on the seven places Jesus shed his blood, and I'll say, where did Jesus shed his blood? And, 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 and even to this day, I've been teaching this for 20 something years now, and even to this day, most Christians will say, at Calvary. And that's true, he did shed his blood at Calvary. But when we understand we're redeemed by the blood, we are reconnected. Our sin, before we accept Jesus, canceled the covenant promises of God in our life. But when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are redeemed to all the promises of God. All of them. But that redemption comes through the blood. And so, and it's amazing. Most Christians do not know this. Even to this day, most Christians do not know this. And when we say we're redeemed by the blood, you've got to understand that everything that happened from Jesus leaving the Passover to the garden, to the whipping post, to the crown of thorns, to the cross, none of this was accidental. Every part of this was planned by God so that when you and I are in this world and we have a battle, there, there is no power. There's absolutely no power in saying, I plead the blood. There's no power in that. You might as well say, Hail Mary, full of grace. But when you say, I plead the blood, and you know where that blood was shed, and how that blood applies to your life. Think, think about what we studied on Passover. The Lord said to the Israelites in Egypt, when I see the blood. Now, Jesus is our Passover lamb. So he's saying to us who are grafted into the family of Israel. He says, when I see the blood. So we've got to know how to put the blood on the doorpost of our house so that when the angel of destruction tries to come, we know that because we understand the blood, that God is standing in front of your home, your marriage, your family, your health, your business, your finances, your children, your grandchildren. And even though they're in a battle or you're in a battle, when we apply the blood, the angel has to pass over because we are directly protected by God. Amen. So it's not a ritual 
or just a cute story about Jesus walking the road of suffering. He walked that road so you and I can have a weapon of our warfare and have a life that is full of victory. Faith doesn't mean there won't be any battles. Faith means we have the better weapons and we read the end of the book, we win. Amen? So let's look at the journey of Jesus going to the cross. The cross is the most important thing. The cross and the resurrection, which we'll celebrate in communion this Sunday. But the journey to get to the cross is vital that we understand because this is what gives us victory in this life. And, and once again, yeah, I plead the blood. Where did Jesus say about it? Well, at Calvary. Yeah, that's one of the places. But Jesus shed his blood seven different times on the way to the resurrection. The first one we see is in the garden. Now, let me take a few moments to explain each part of the journey. And then when we do at the end, when we drink the wine and break his body, we claim miracles for ourselves or for our family or for our loved ones. The first place was in the garden. We see the picture of Jesus here. And Jesus Jesus is the son of God, but he's also a human. And a lot of people have a problem with, oh no, he's, he's, he's just, he's not, he's not this untouchable, unfeeling spirit. He is the son of God, but he's a human just like you. Being the son of God, he knows what they're going to do to him. He said, this is why I came. Being the son of God, he knows that they're about to arrest him. He knows that they'll grab his beard and rip the beard and skin from his face. He knows that they're going to beat him as no human has ever been beaten. He knows that they're going to put a log beam on his back into those wounds. He knows that he's going to carry this up the Via de Rosa. I have, I have walked, I have walked, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I have walked from the Garden of Gethsemane up into the old city, up the Via Dolorosa, all the way to Calvary. It is a long journey. It's not like from here to the parking lot. He knew this was going to happen. He knew that they would take a crown of thorns and shove it into his head. He knew that they would mock him and spit on him. They would strip him naked and nail him to a cross in front of his mother and in front of his friends. He knew all this. Being a man, a human, he's going to feel it. Just like you would feel it. Just like I would feel it. He's going to feel it. He's going to feel the pain. He's going to feel the humiliation. He's going to feel the embarrassment. And so in the garden of Gethsemane, we see both Jesus, the son of God, 
and we see Jesus, the human, the man, praying. And the Bible says he prays and he says, Father, if there be some other way. Now, I I want you to, there's no way we can, but I want you to try to feel Jesus at this moment. I mean, this is what he's been preparing for for 33 years. He's known it. When he was 12 years old, he said, I've got to be about my father's business. He's known this. But now he's at the point of reality. And he's scared. He knows what they're about to do to him. And so he prays, Father, if there be some other way, maybe we can come up with another idea. If there be some other way, let this cup pass. Now, I want to go back to Passover, and most of you know this, but in Passover, there are four cups. Not when, when, and when we do communion, we'll drink four times. And if, we're, if you only know the one cup, you're missing three quarters of the blessing. But the cup, the last cup, it's called the cup in, in English, um, uh, complete, cup of com, uh, consummation, cup of completion. This is the cup that Jesus put aside and he said, I'm not going to drink this. I'm not going to finish the cup until at the wedding supper of the Lamb. And so now he's praying. He's gone from this down to the garden and he said father if there be some other way let this cup that completes it let this cup pass from me now you know so many times we just go through that so quickly we need to understand what he's feeling it would be like me watching my son knowing that they're going to spit on him and murder him and kill him and humiliate him and nail him to the tree. I would look at him and I'd say, you know what? Maybe there is another way. But then the Messiah part of Jesus rises up and thank God it did. Thank God it did. He said, Father, if there be some other way, let this cup that completes it. I don't want to drink it. I don't want to do it. But then he saw me. And he saw you with no chance, no hope. And he says, not my will, but thy will be done. And the Bible says at that moment, he began to sweat blood. Now remember, we're redeemed by his blood. So we need to look carefully at these seven places that Jesus shed his blood. I've read many testimonies of doctors and nurses and people in war or in battle. And like one doctor I read, I think it was in a New York hospital, and he said, it's not uncommon for someone to get a, a report, hopeless, hopeless in you, hopeless in your husband, hopeless in your wife, your child, and th- the fear is so intense in them that 
below the skin, the blood vessels break. Or someone in war and the enemy's coming and the fear is so intense that the blood vessels below the skin breaks. And out of the pores, instead of coming sweat, comes blood. This, this happens. This isn't just a story in the Bible. This happens to people. That when the intensity is so great that they sweat blood. Now, I want you to look at where this is happening because this is so powerful. Jesus says, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, let me take you back when we're talking about the seven places Jesus shed his blood. Let me take you back to the understanding in Passover that God says, put the blood on the doorpost of your house. And I didn't even go over this last week. We ran out of time. Where you eat. Right? Where you eat. A lot of times we think that they stood outside of their home and put the blood on the outside of the home. But that's not what they did. They took the blood of the lamb and put the blood on the inside where they eat. And the Bible says, and the angel of death will not be allowed. And and it says in English, strike you. But the word you is italicized. What does that mean when it's italicized? It's been added. That whoever is in your house, the angel of death will not be able to strike And so when we're talking about putting the blood, let's say I'm a dad or I'm a grandfather or I'm a pastor and I'm covering you or you're a mom or a dad and you're covering your family. When you take this blood, no matter what your family's going through, you need to understand that you are standing in the gap. And, you know, I'm going to do this series called Shout Grace. There are times that the the Bible says that your faith will cover your loved ones. Your, Your faith will cover your loved ones. Right? And this is a very powerful understanding. So I want you to look at every place we put the blood. I want you to look at, man, when I know the blood, when I know the, the power of the blood, it's not just covering me. It's covering everybody in my family. Even, if, even the sons who are serving the gods of Egypt, the blood will still, when you put the blood, it'll still cover them. You understand? So look at the first place Jesus shed his blood. He says, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. Now, a lot of times, Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. So I want you to go, in ancient Hebrew, there's no word for what? I want you to go from the garden called Gethsemane, where Jesus, the second Adam is, go back to the very beginning in the garden called Eden. In the garden of Eden, God says to man, all of this is yours, except this. This is mine. Now, the Bible tells us that Eve was beguiled. She was tricked by Satan. But Adam made a decision, a willful decision. God said, you can't eat this. Adam, if you'll allow me, said, Father, not your will, but my will be done. That's what what started the whole thing. And, And the word of God says at that point, Satan 
became God of this world. You know, I was just talking to one of the guys in the back and they were talking to me about uh, a lady that they saw behind their house. And this one one of the guys in the back said, didn't know what she was doing. All of a sudden I saw her pull out a bottle and she was just drunk in the woods, sitting on a rock, drunk. And got up and staggered, and he thankfully he intervened and got involved and helped. That's what we do. We help people, right? We help people. I'm so glad that a guy, a little Mexican guy by the name of Bill Trujillo, when he saw me stoned, he got involved. He got involved. I'm so glad Bill got involved. And I said, you know, nobody wants to be a drunk. No, nobody wants to be a drunk. When I was a heroin addict, when I was a heroin cocaine addict, and I was sticking that needle in my arm, you know, we had a saying, I, I was born and raised in inner city South St. Louis. I was raised in the hood. We had armed guards. When I was in high school, we had armed guards on every floor of our high school. This is the hood. And we had a saying in the streets, once a junkie, always a junkie. So nobody wants to become a junkie. But once you, I, I, I can remember sticking a needle in my arm and, and, and taking that needle and going to the door and throwing it out in the yard and say, I'll never, I'm never going to do that again. Never, I, I, living without heat, living without food because drugs ran my life. And then four hours later, I'd be in the, in the leaves looking for that needle. I didn't want to be that way. When we first got, when, I first got saved and Tiz and I first got married. I had a horrible anger problem. Violence was my was greater than drug addiction. And I remember saying, I don't want to be like this. I don't, I don't want to be like this anymore. But the Bible says, listen to this. And this takes us to the understanding of Yom Kippur. On Yom Kippur, they would sacrifice the blood. They would take the blood, go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it. How many times? Seven times. This is the day of atonement. This is the day of miracles. But then they would come out, take the blood of that lamb and put it on the second goat, the scapegoat, and confess the curses on it. And the Bible says they would send it down to a dry place. But then if it came back and found the door open, listen to what I'm telling you, please. This is not just a Sunday, Easter Sunday, chocolate rabbit laying egg bunny. This is the power of Almighty God in our lives. That's why Jesus said you cast a demon out. It goes to a dry place, but comes back and finds the door still open. How does it find it? How many times... Until you understand the power of the blood. How many times did you, I bind this spirit of addiction, or I bind anger, or I bind this, or I bind that, and you're better for a while, but then it comes back, and the anger comes back, or the depression comes back, or the addiction comes back, and it's worse than it was. Why? Because the door is open when we don't understand the blood. Are you following me? So here Jesus, here's Adam in the first garden, the garden of Gethsemane, and he says, Father, not your will, but my will. And we lost our willpower, and Satan became the God over our will. But then here we have Jesus 
not in the Garden of Eden, but now in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, Adam says, not your will, but my will. Jesus said, not my will, but your will. And he sweat great drops of blood. And the moment he began to bleed, I can say to every man, woman, and child that God has bought back by the blood of Jesus our willpower. We can say to every mom and dad, whether it's drug addiction or alcoholism or whatever it is, we can plead the blood and know that the blood will be on our lives, our family, our children, and the devil of destruction will not be able to hold on and we will see ourselves and our loved ones redeemed by that blood. Somebody say amen. I'm just going to share this with you. Everybody knows the, knew the testimony that I was a drug addict. But my biggest problem was anger. And I brought this into my Christianity. I brought it into my marriage. I brought it into my ministry. And I remember one time I, I, I got angry. I got angry at Luke. Luke was a little kid, and I threw him against the wall. And I'm pastoring my second church, my third church, our third church. And I said these words. I said, I'm just like my dad. The problem is my dad didn't know Jesus. I'm a pastor. And so I said, is there somewhere in the Bible that says what's in the Father? passes on to the son and when i began to research it i found out not only is it in there it's in there over 325 times and that's why jesus in the garden said father not my will knowing everything they were going to do to him he, he jesus went through things that we don't even know about we've lost in translation but he said, not my will, but thy will be done. And it's not just a cute story. Oh, he sweat great drops of blood. Then we go move on. No, he bought back my willpower. He bought back. And, and whether it's you or maybe a, a, your husband or your wife or your son or your daughter, or your grandchild, you need to, when you say, I plead the blood, nobody wants to be angry. Nobody wants to be depressed. Nobody wants to be suicidal. Nobody wants to be a drug addict. Nobody wants to be an alcoholic. They've lost their willpower. Satan makes them this way. But greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And when Jesus shed his blood, he bought back, redeemed us by that blood. And who the sun sets it. You know, they told my mom and dad, your son's a junkie. Once a junkie, always a junkie. The world says you'll never change. But the word says who the sun sets free shall be free indeed. Can I have an amen? Do you receive that? So I want you to claim this. When we celebrate tonight, but when we celebrate the power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection, if death won't keep us down, then alcohol or drugs or depression or anger will not keep us down. And you know what? We can plead that, we can plead that blood on our entire family because that's what Passover teaches us. That we put it on our home as a mom, a dad, a pastor. 
You know what? Every day when I pray for you and I pray for our, our ministry around the world, I, I release the power of the blood. Say, well, pastor, I don't, I don't totally understand it. Well, you will understand it. But even if you, when you don't, I release that power. You're under because of, because God has called me to be the shepherd of this flock. We cover you. Will you do the same thing with your family? They may not understand it. It doesn't matter. The power of the blood buys back our willpower. Amen. Amen. Then they went from the garden. They arrested Jesus. And they went from the garden. And we know that they went to Pilate and Caiaphas and back to Pilate again. And in that journey, the Bible says that Pilate washed his hands. Now, I want to differ. How many understand that the stories in the New Testament have changed a little bit over the years? You know, Jesus didn't speak Greek. He didn't speak Latin. Okay. He didn't speak English. He probably spoke Spanish because he knows at the wedding supper of the Lamb, there's going to be enchiladas. And kosher menudo. You know, nobody's made me kosher menudo since Dan and Emma gave, brought it. Amen. Jesus spoke Hebrew. And as the Gentiles began to be control over the scriptures and the story, do you know that for 325 years before the Bible was put together and said, here's the books we're going to have in the Bible, 325 years up to that, and then they had a meeting in what's now modern-day Turkey. It was called the Council of Nicaea. If you ever want to read a very fascinating book, but long, it's not like, ooh, it's, it's you, you got to study. And it's called the Council of Nicaea. That's when the Gentiles now are running the church, and they begin to change things. That's when the Sabbath was changed. All right, we're going to make the Sabbath on Sunday. There's nowhere in the Bible that says the Sabbath. Are y'all okay? There's nowhere in the Bible that says the Sabbath was changed. As a matter of fact, my Bible says when he gave the Ten Commandments, the very end of the Old Testament, he said, I'm the Lord thy God and I change not. Now, meet, we meet. Don't go start meeting on Saturday. Meet, we meet on Sunday. But we, the Sabbath is a, a holy time. But there's nowhere for 325 years of any mention in any church doctrine of the Jews killing Jesus. Not once. There's called the Apostles' Creed. There's, there's the Didache. And there is not one mention of the Jews being blamed for killing Jesus. That became a doctrine 325 years after the resurrection of Jesus because the Roman Empire said we've got to turn the attention of worship away from Jerusalem towards Rome. The best way to do that, let's blame the Jews for killing Jesus. Amen. So you've got to understand that the Old Testament basically has never changed since Moses and the Egypt, uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. But the New Testament, the, the stories have changed a little bit. And so we see Jesus being arrested. We go to Pilate, Caiaphas, and then back to Pilate. And we see Pilate washing his hands. Now, you know that this is a form in Judaism of breaking the curses of this world. I doubt very, I doubt, I mean, it could have happened, but I doubt very seriously 
if Pilate, who was a who murdered tens and tens of thousands of Jews on a cross, I doubt if he would have followed a Jewish custom of washing his hands and breaking the curse of touching Jesus. I think that was done by Jews. But anyway, and we'll do that. We do that all the time. So they go to Caiaphas, they go to Pilate, Caiaphas, and back to Pilate. And Pilate says, basically, I find no fault in him. I don't find anything wrong with him. Now, when we talk about the Jews killing Jesus, yes, there was a couple of Jews that killed Jesus. But remember, this is all happening at night. And the Bible says they arrested Jesus at night, lest there be a riot. Now, wait, wait, wait. What do you mean a riot? Oh, yeah, the, uh, the uh, 12 apostles. Well, not really 12, because one of them's Judas. 11. 11 guys fighting is not a riot. It's a bar fight. <laughs> not a riot. Remember, four days before this, they see, they're waiting for the Passover lamb. They see Jesus come riding in on a donkey exactly the way the prophet said it would happen. The Old Testament, and this is what's happening by us giving the world a Jewish Jesus. You know, you've heard me say, I, I think you've heard me say, I say it on television all the time, more books in the last three years have been written about Jesus by rabbis than have been written in the history of the world. And the reason is we're giving the world a Jewish Jesus. Right? So Jesus comes riding in, and the, the, the Old Testament shows there'll be two messiahs, or two comings of the messiah. One riding in on a donkey, the other one riding in on a white horse. The first one, he comes in as a servant. The last time he comes, he'll come with the army. That's us. And I think we're closer to that coming than we even realize. Amen? So... Pilate says, I find no fault in him, and he says, take him out and scourge him. Now, this is where we have the scripture that as they tied Jesus to the whipping post and beat him with a cat of nine tails, picture a, a, a long whip with nine strands of leather coming out, and on the each of every strand, is a barb of metal or a barb of bone or something where when they would whip Jesus, it would wrap around him, sink into his flesh, that they pull it out, and every time, nine hunks of flesh would come out. Now, one of the things that we say when, when the Bible says, by his stripes were healed, and this doesn't m- maybe mean a big thing, but it did to our family when we found out that Lion was sick. Most of the time, if you were to ask Christians, how many stripes did Jesus receive? And they will say 39 stripes. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says Paul, a few times, received 40 stripes minus one. Now, the reason is, is that in Judaism, there is a limit. Even if a person is guilty, 
there is a limit of how much God would allow that person to be punished. Let's say a person was sentenced to prison for 40 years. That's the highest amount they could go for the most heinous crime. That's the highest they could go to prison is 40 years. So the people keeping the books would always let them out at 39 years, lest they somehow made an error, miss, because they would never want to be guilty before God of punishing someone more than God himself would punish. So when Paul received 40 stripes minus one, it's because in Judaism, the largest amount of stripes with a whip was 40 stripes. So they would, Paul was given by the corrupt system, he was given 40 stripes minus one, so they would count and stop at 39, lest somehow they miscounted and punished someone more than God himself would allow. Because then you're in trouble. Right? Okay, so when it comes to Jesus... The Bible does not say 39 stripes, doesn't give any number. And there is a reason for that, because Jesus was not whipped by Jews. He was whipped by Rome, and Rome didn't have any limitations. So every time they whipped Jesus with the cat of nine tails, it was nine times but then there's no limit to how many times they whipped him till the point that he should have been dead. Now, why is this? Because Jesus died for every known, Jesus was beaten for every known disease, but he was also beaten for diseases that no man knows. No man has an answer. When they came and told us lion has a very rare form of leukemia and we found out later no child his age ever they they had never had a child survive when he said a very rare form i was like only two kids or something in all america has had this immediately i thought of the stripes of jesus not just by his stripes were healed but the, the, the stripes of Jesus were more than 39 because there are 39 root diseases that are known to man. 39 root diseases known to mankind from what I understand. But there are things that man doesn't know. And the blood of Jesus and the stripes of Jesus cover even the things the greatest scientists, the greatest doctors, they know. And so that's when I said, God, you know things that we don't know. And Jesus was beaten for things that we don't even understand. Lion receives that blood. And we can say to everyone, God can do. If you somebody you know needs a miracle healing. Tiz and I were talking to some neighbors uh, yesterday and good Christian, wonderful Christian people. But obviously didn't know a lot about this and I got to tell him the story and the Bible says that we overcome the devil whether it's cancer or leukemia or whatever it is we overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and 
the word of our testimony. So I know, and I listen, I, I thank God for doctor. I thank God for every doctor and nurse Lion had, every doctor and nurse Tiz had. I thank God for them. I pray the blessing of God. But I'm going to tell you something in all due respect. God knows things that the greatest doctors don't know. God knows things that the greatest scientists don't know. And you and I serve that God and we claim for our family and your family greater is he that's in us than anything the devil can bring against us in the area of sickness. By his stripes we are healed. Somebody say amen. So claim that. You know, you got to listen to the doctors. You got to listen listen to what the doctors say and they're doing their best. You know, the last Friday we had a, a, a doctor and his wife here for uh Shabbat Hagadul and and uh uh, he has an office here in Dallas and he has an office in uh, good friends of ours for many years, has an office in Florida. And they came in the back and they said, she said, I, I, we, we've been praying for Tiz and man, what a miracle. She said, I don't know if you know, but I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I said, no, I didn't know until Tiz told me tonight. She said, we're in Florida. And I told the doctor down there, I said, I'd like to have this kind of treatment. And the doctor said, you don't qualify for that. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to have a double mastectomy and you're going to have chemo for one year. And somebody else heard this and said, you know, in Dallas, you have one of the best breast cancer hospitals in the world. So she came back and they did her test. Her and her husband are in the office, and the doctor comes in. He's going, hey, how are you guys? And he's all happy and bubbly and everything. And she's thinking, what a jerk. Where's your sympathy? Where's your empathy? And he goes, you know what? If you're going to get breast cancer, this is the kind you get. He said, we can treat this with nothing. You'll be in and out of here. It's, it, this is no big deal. So she went from double mastectomy and chemo for a year to this is nothing we're and, and totally so i don't know if god took that cancer and turned it around or god to one of the things that you pray for is not only by his stripes you're healed but you pray god give divine wisdom to every doctor give divine wisdom to every nurse because they'll see things that they didn't see before and god will give an answer so we do whatever doctors tell us to do but let me say this with all due respect they're giving you scientific statistics. We're not a statistic. We're a child of the living God. And we need to stand on that. And by his stripes, you're healed. Amen. The third place Jesus shed his blood was after they brought him off the whipping post. And they took, ripped his clothes off and they put a scarlet robe on him. And if you read the scripture, they took a crown of thorns and they placed it on Jesus' brow and shoved it into his skull. Now, some of these thorns are three and a half inches long. Now, why is that significant? Here's one of the main reasons. One of the main reasons Christians don't prosper is they're not faithful in their tithe. You need to understand that God says a tenth is mine. That's his. If you want God to increase your, continue to increase your 90%, be faithful. Amen. 
It's not a gimmick. It's not, it's not a, I, know, I know the prosperity message and a lot of stuff has turned into a gimmick. I know that. But you've got to understand is that we who live on 90% have unlimited potential of where that's going. The second reason why Christians don't prosper, even Christians who tithe and give offerings besides three times a year, you come before the Lord, you don't come empty-handed. That's when God opens the windows of heaven. They, they don't understand how to break the curse off your finances. When, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, I got to say this quick, I have 11 minutes. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, Everything they put their hands to. Remember the series I just did on heaven? That we're going to have things to do in heaven. We're going to be doing stuff. I'm going to be me. He's going to be him. She's going to be her. We're going to be us. We'll see our family. They're going to be them. And we're going to be living. We're not sitting on a cloud. We're doing stuff. Our Our families that have gone before us, our loved ones, they're already up there doing stuff. They're going to be doing stuff. We're going to be doing stuff. In the, in, in the Garden of Eden, everything Adam and Eve put their hands to, it was blessed. Now, they, they were still, they're putting their hands to stuff. But it's not like, oh, man, we got we to gotta row and hoe and plant. No, it was joyous. It was l- wonderful. But then they disobeyed and God threw them out of the garden. And I, I've got to say this very quickly. He threw them out of the garden. The Bible says he put them out and he placed them out. Why does God say something twice? Because when you see God repeating something right, he put them out and he placed them out. Well, you know, God must be confused. Why does he have to say it twice? It's uh, in, 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 in rabbinical study, it's a hint Something is about to reveal. A secret is about to be revealed. What happens after? He physically, everything God does is spiritual and physical. Everything. Every single thing God teaches us has a physical aspect and a spiritual aspect. So he physically removed them from the garden. And all of Eden was not a garden. The word Eden means voluptuous living. How many ladies would like to move into voluptuous living? I'm not even sure what it means, but it sounds better than not. Yeah, it sounds better than not. And so he physically removed them. He physically took them out. What's the spiritual side? In Hebrew, it means he divorced himself from all of mankind of being Jehovah Jireh. And to show that, he said, where you were, where I was Jehovah Jireh, your provider, everything just blossomed. Everything even the rivers had all the silver and the gold in it, right? The river Pishon. And let me just throw this in for those who haven't heard that. He said, here's the mountains, here's the fish, here's the cattle, here's this. And up the river Pishon is where the silver and gold is. In Hebrew, that means that when we serve God, he will show us where the silver and the gold is. That's what it means. Somebody, oh, I have a better amen than that. That's worth the price of a mission right there. He'll show it. That's what it means. But when he put them out, he said, remember what it was like when I was Jehovah Jireh? See, and, and, and let me just back up. Trust him. Prove me if I won't open you the windows of heaven. Prove me this. Now, 
And I think our country's going to get worse when it comes to e- economics. I think our country's headed for some, I think the folks that are in charge right now are setting us up for disaster. But those of us who are under the blood, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. And so you got you to gotta think about this. You got to be thinking about this. Boy, if there's ever been a time to get back to being faithful to God so he can be faithful to you, you can either have Washington be Jehovah Jireh for you, or you can have almighty God who owns the cattle and the earth and the silver and the gold. Him be almighty God. Amen. So he cursed the land with thorns and thistles. And he told Adam, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eke out an existence. So no matter how much you work, no matter how much seed you plant, the sweat on your brow and the thorns and thistles, which are symbolic of the curse, will remember that I'm no longer Jehovah Jireh. Here comes Jesus, not in the Garden of Eden, but the Garden of Gethsemane. They bring him out and they take the symbol of the curse on our finances. That's why we tithe on our finances. That's why we circumcise our finances. We take our finances from filthy lucre into holy money. And they took the crown and shoved it on the brow of Jesus. We're cursed. Ow, 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 ow. Ow. <laughs> I want my mother. We're... Ow. We're cursed by the sweat on Adam's brow. We're redeemed from the curse by the blood on Jesus' brow. When we pray over the church finances or we pray over our finances or we pray over when, we, when, when, when I was driving trucks and Tiz was waiting tables to the point where um, <coughs> you're making investments, I don't want God to give me financially what I deserve. I want him to give me what's been paid for in full by the blood of the lamb. Amen. Now, listen to me. Somebody, somebody in this town this next year is going to have debts canceled, is going to have miraculous business opportunities open up. Might as well be us. Might as well be you. Don't ever, don't ever let anybody say, well, you know, you're just, uh, yeah, you're too old or you're too, you're, you're a girl or you're a woman or you're, you're, uh, you're white or black or brown. Don't let, don't, don't let people get, no, you are a child of God bought by the blood of the lamb with unlimited financial possibility. You know, I, I hate to pick on De- poor Derek all the time. Derek's looking good in that hat, I'm telling you. But Derek came into us out of prison. And these guys met and came to church and started serving God and learning the principles of this. I won't even tell you. He told me what his bonus was. He's got his own company now. He told me what his bonus was. I said, you hiring? (laughs) Need to hook a pastor up. (laughs) Unlimited. Amen. Real quick, I have five minutes to go. They nailed him to the tree. I'm just going to say this quickly. Nailing was not normal. They nailed his feet to the tree. Nailing was not normal. 
Marvin called me the other day, and I told him I made a mistake, and I was talking about you can't just go down the, to Home Depot and buy nails, and the whole church went, Lowe's! <laughs> they didn't have nails in those days, you understand? This, 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 this was very uncommon. So normally they would tie you to the cross because it wasn't the nails that killed you. It was the crucifixion that took days and days and days and days. But they nailed him. Why? We're redeemed by the blood. When Adam and Eve blew it in the garden, we lost our dominion. We lost our authority. But now through the blood of Jesus, everything we put our hands to, everything, say everything, everything. And I'm, I'm, I'm not being corny. This, we, we lay our hands on our checkbook. We, when our babies were young, we laid our hands on their pillows. We laid our hands on their doors. Everything you put your hands to, God will cause it to prosper, to be blessed. Every place you put the sole of your feet, God will give it to you for an inheritance. Wherever you go, wherever you go, tell them, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen? Why do you think the devil, one of the reasons why the devil wants God out of America, because he knows America is blessed because we are one nation under God. Don't let him do it. Wherever I go, Jesus is with me. Wherever you go, Jesus is with you. Wherever you go, the healer is with you. The deliverer is with you. The savior is with you. The Messiah is with you. Wherever you go, every place you put the sole of your feet, when you go to work, the presence of God is going with you. Let God be a blessing there. Let God move on people. Let God touch people through your presence. Everything you put your hands to, real quick. Then they pierced his side because there's no way Jesus should be dead. They broke the thief on the right, the thief on the left legs, because cursed is he who hangs on a tree. Jewish tradition is if somebody is being crucified, they have the curse of, of sin on their lives. If they're still there when the sun goes down on the Sabbath, the curse that is on them who's on the cross comes down on the people. So the rabbis demanded these, these, uh, these n- not normal rabbis, these corrupt rabbis, Caiaphas and these guys who were thieves, who had Jesus arrested at night. There were even those of, of the council that said this is wrong and they walked out. There was only three or four of them that caused this to happen. They were, they were like fake politicians. Corrupt. Where was I? What was I saying? Caiaphas. What was I saying about Caiaphas? What, what am I talking about? Huh? Oh yeah, curses he who hangs on a tree. Thank you. Sometimes I go down dark alleys when I'm preaching and I can't remember where I started from. <laughs> and so they, they broke the thief on the right and the thief on the left's legs because they would, couldn't hold themselves up and suffocate. They got to Jesus and they look at him and said, well, he looks dead. Well, that can't be. He's only been up here a couple hours. It takes days to die. So they went up to him. Now, remember, the, the, the prophet said no bone in his body would be broken. That's why we have the lamb shank on, on the Seder plate that's unbroken. And they looked at him and said, well, he's got to be dead. So they took a spear 
and shoved it in his side. And as Doc said the other last Friday night, around your heart is a sack of fluid. So when they shoved it in his side, out of that wound came blood and water. Why? Because Jesus didn't die from the crucifixion. He died from the weight of our sin, and it literally, it broke his heart. And out of that wound came blood and water. But Satan forgot that the Lord said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. So when, listen, I'm I'm, I'm giving you something that we live with. We live on this every moment of our lives. If you can get this, it will change your life. Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for good. The devil comes in and he tries to steal your joy. This has happened. But whatever has happened, Satan, just like Esther, God is working behind the scenes. When you don't feel God, when you don't see God, oh my goodness, I'm seeing God right now. Look at this. Look at looking at. Where was I? Where was I? Huh? Romans 8, 28. Listen, whatever the devil throws at us, number one, we bind him. Devil, I bind you. Oh, pastor, who do you think you are? I'm a child of God. Jesus said, as my father sends me, now I send you. Jesus brought gold coins out of fish's mouth. Jesus raised the dead, caused blind eyes to see. Jesus walked on water, rebuked the storm. You need to start understanding who you are. Now, I'm going to say this, and this is corny because you hear it all the time, but you need to quit waking up in the morning afraid of what the devil's going to do. The devil needs to wake up in the morning afraid of what you're going to do because when you understand that you are joint heirs with Christ Jesus, whatever you bind on earth, we understand when the devil rises up, we bind him. Devil, I rebuke you. I rebuke this cancer. I rebuke this sickness. I rebuke whatever it is. But the other side of it is what Satan meant for evil, God will use it for good. All things work together for the good. That's why he died of a broken heart. Don't let the devil steal your joy. All things work together. It doesn't feel like it. I know, but it's going to happen. Hold on. It's going to turn out all right. I'll give you a real bad example. I was, I was set, when I first got saved, I was set on marrying this one girl from one of our other churches. I was set on it. And she was from the church family, good family, and I'm from inner city, South St. Louis. And their pastor called my pastor and said, this ain't happening. No, no, we don't want this guy around. Now, I, I've done okay. I've done all right. But he went and told me, he said, no, you can't, you're not allowed to date her. You know, I mean, there was a control and everything. And I thought, oh. and then Tiz walked in the first time. I went, oh, hallelujah. <laughs> I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Oh, oh, glory to God. Thank you. All things work together for good. Now, Tiz may not agree with you on that, but for me, all things work together for good. So, Don't let the devil break your heart. Because if you let him break your heart, eventually he breaks your spirit. There's a great teaching on that, a broken spirit. But a merry heart, a merry heart. So, you know, know, this happens, that happens. You go, all right, this, this is not what I planned, but glory to God. All things work together for good. It's going to be better than it was before. And you know what? Say that. Watch who you have pray for you. 
Watch who you have pray for you. Don't just let anybody lay hands on you. Oh, God. We know that this is terrible. Please don't. Give people faith around you. That say, you know, it's going to be better than you can imagine. What Satan's meant for evil, God is going to use it for good. Broken heart. All right. The last thing, the last place, the seventh place that Jesus shed his blood was the Bible says he's wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. The Bible says that when they, he died on that cross. And, and once again, I want to say this because it just makes the devil of it. I can't. Listen, don't write me bad letters because they don't show them to me. <laughs> You're just wasting postage. <laughs> when Jesus hung on the cross and he said in Aramaic, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That does translate, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It does. But it also translates, my God, my God, this is why you have fortified me or strengthened me. So I don't believe Jesus is left there going, what happened? Oh my gosh. I believe Jesus shouted out with victory, my God, my God, this is why you've given me strength to walk the Via Della Rosa and the, val- the, the, the road of suffering because I'm not just taking their sins. I'm not just breaking the curses. I am redeeming them back to the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will be almighty God and give them a life more abundant. What a mighty God we serve. Amen. All right, so we will do this since it's Shabbat, and I'll just do it very quickly. The first thing you do on the Sabbath is you, and we'll ask you to do this as you leave. Remember, when you give on the Sabbath, this is the weekly window of heaven that's open. When you give on the Sabbath in the church or in the synagogue, this does not stay. This must go to charity. So in our home, before we ever light the candles, before we ever um, uh, take the wine or the bread or say the blessings, we always have our children. Train your children up in the ways that they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart from it. So you're my children. You get every time, if you just remember this, every time God is getting ready to bless you, he first brings you a chance to be a blessing. Okay, can I give you an example? It's not like, oh, I need this blessing over here, so I'll give to get blessed. Well, sometimes that happens. But sometimes God has a surprise blessing. You don't even know is coming. Exceedingly, abundantly, good measure, pressed down. And so he, all of a sudden, he comes and brings you an opportunity to be a blessing. And you're over here thinking, Oh, no, no, I don't need to be a blessing. I need a blessing. God goes, I know. But my ways are not your ways. See, Tiz teaches us so well. So many times we wait to give out of our blessing instead of giving to our blessing. That's the way it works. You know, when we got a phone call uh some weeks back from the government of Israel saying there's this amazing project and I'm not allowed to tell you yet there's this amazing project and we 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 really feel like we'd love to have new beginnings involved with this and I said yeah we'll do it we'll we'll, we'll do it well I don't know what blessings come in my way out of that but I do know that before we receive the blessing 
God first gives us a chance to be a blessing. That's the way it always works. No farmer would go and go, wheat grow. (laughs) The neighbor goes, did you plant any seed? Now I'm going to plant seed right after I get the harvest. (laughs) I'll let it sink in a moment here. All right. So the first thing we do is we give that cow. This is the teaching. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to wear, where you're going to live, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Hebrew, that righteousness has the, the holy righteousness. We're righteous people before God, but his righteousness means get involved with what he is doing in acts of charity and acts of kindness. Amen. All right. So then we do that. Then we would uh, take and wash our hands because washing your hands is symbolic of baptism. Baptism is not an outward sign of an inward work. It's not joining the church. Jesus didn't have to show an outward sign of an inward work, and Jesus didn't join the church. He was the church, right? Baptism is you're, you're, you're washing away all negativity and all limitation that you've come in contact with this week now i'm going to tell you something we do you're commanded by god to be baptized at least once a year commanded by god and we do that during the time of russian on yom kippur i do this every day if i'm going in to study i don't care if I've, i do this every morning when i get up it's it's cleaning it's the renewing of the mind your mind gets, you're around negative people. You've touched negative people. You've seen negative stuff. You've heard all the bad news on the, on the news and stuff. You've got to have a renewing of the mind. This is, this, is, this is as supernatural as anointing someone with oil or lifting up your hands. God in, uh, inhabits the praises of his people. It's supernatural. So I do this every morning when I get up. The first thing, the very first thing I do is I do this. I say my prayers and then I go and start read. If I'm going in to study on something middle of the day, I will. There, there has been a few times that I have forgotten and I'm, I can't get clear what God is telling me. I go, and I'll go in and I'll wash my hands. It's the filter of the spirit of your mind. Your mind is not the gray matter. Your mind is a spiritual thing. Yes. Amen. Yes. So we wash our hands and we break the curses of limitations and failure because we are being born again every day into the newness and the supernatural of God. Amen. Yes. Then we would take and on this day, because Jesus was keeping uh, Passover Instead of having challah bread that we usually do on Shabbat, he would have had three shelves of matzah. You all know this. The, 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 why the three shelves? Judaism is not sure. I believe it's because it's symbolizing the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The middle shelf you would bring out. And every matzah since the time of Moses has been pierced and striped, nailed and striped. And then you would break the bread. This is my body, which is broken for you. As often as you do this, do this remembering what I've done for you. And so we would take this, and of course, you know, in Seder, you go and hide it. You re- put it in a white linen cloth, and you go and hide it. And then you, your children go find it. All right. So we would say the blessing bread symbolizes prosperity. Bread symbolizes victory, dominion, authority. So we would take the bread and we'd take it. And it says, blesses the Lord God, 
um, king of the world who, who blesses with commandments and commands us concerning bread coming from the ground. Now, it's an amazing thing because it doesn't, bread does not come from the ground. Wheat comes from the ground. Then you have to plant it and you have to harvest it and you have to refine it and all the things that people do to make bread. But God is saying your lot in life is not to be, by, be cursed by the sweat of your brow. Your lot in life is to be blessed by the blood of Jesus so that everything you put your hands to, it's not just working to survive, but it's working because God is blessing everything you put your hands to. Amen. All right, and then we have the four cups. We, have the, we, we talked about this for Seder. The last cup is the cup of consummation. This is the cup that completes it. Jesus goes to the guard. He says, I won't drink of this. Uh, and, 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 and uh, you know, on sh- regular Shabbat, we do one cup. We don't do the four. But this would tonight would have been the Seder. And, and the four cups mean uh, we're redeemed, means there's no condemnation in us. Right? Why is that important? Because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let that, that man think when he prays he'll receive anything. You go before the Lord and you'll go, God, you know, I need you to do this. And the devil will come and speak to you and say, you know what? You're going through this because of what you've done. Or you're going through this. God's not going to answer because you don't deserve it. Once again, once again, I do not want God to give me what I deserve. I want God to give me what has been paid for in full by the blood of Jesus. When you don't think you're worthy, you do not, you you do not come boldly before the throne of God. I don't care what it is we've done. Once we receive Jesus and his blood, we are worthy though. Our sins be as scarlet. That means double deep dyed stained. God washes them away. God does not cover our sin. He washes them away and we are born again in him. Amen. Then the breaks the curse, uh, breaks the curse, curses he who hangs on a tree. He connects us to the promises and the power of God. And then the last cup that we take and we do one cup every Shabbat is God says, Jesus said, I won't drink this with you until we're at the wedding supper of the lamb. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. We do this every Friday night, every Friday night, whether the kids are with us, grandkids are with us, whether we have guests with us, whether it's just Tiz and I, this is the cup of completion. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it's finished. He said, it's finished. Everything we need, not just in heaven, but on earth, it's complete in Jesus Christ. Amen. So we'll say the blessing. Lakai means to life. And then you have on the Seder, dear, as we talked last Friday night, you have one cup. It's the cup of Elijah. We know that when the rapture takes place and we go into the seven years of tribulation, there'll be two witnesses that will rise up in Jerusalem and God will protect them. There's nothing that the Antichrist will be able to do to harm them until the end of that three years. And for three and a half years, they will preach that Jesus is the Messiah to the world. And, and, and remember, when this was written, how in the world could the world see two witnesses in the streets of Jerusalem? How could the world? When this was written, there were no cameras. There was no uh, CNN, fake news, uh, MSNBC, fake news. Um, there was none of that. Okay? There was none of that. There were, but now, can you imagine 
that all of a sudden these guys are being seen. The Bible says that at the end of the three, and they, they, Moses and Elijah, Moses and Elijah. Now you talk about a revival. You talk about a revival. And then all these Jewish missionaries will rise up. But what will happen is right at the end time, uh, God will remove his covering. The Antichrist will kill Moses and Elijah and, and say, let it be a sign that I'm greater than, than this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And lay him in the streets. And all CNN and all MSNBC and all those that are anti-God will have their cameras there. Look, there, there's the witnesses. And then all of a sudden they'll stand up. And it will be seen by the world. The world will see it. So the cup of Elijah is, has he come yet? Let me tell you one more thing. Everything God does is physical and spiritual. Someday Elijah and Moses will come. But Judaism says the spirit of Elijah will come first and speak to Gentiles. This is the end of Malachi 3. The hearts of the fathers are turned to the sons. The hearts of the sons turned to the fathers. What that says in Hebrew is that the spirit of Elijah, God will send messengers. And the spirit of Elijah will begin to come and speak to the church. And bring them back to their roots. And their hearts will be drawn to the fathers. Father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the father's hearts will be drawn to the children, the church. And Elijah will begin to lead right before the greatest outpouring. Elijah will begin to teach the church by his spirit. Folks, we're there. This is going to be a good year. Amen. Stand with me, would you please? I went 12 minutes over, but I always do. You know what it means when the preacher looks at his watch? Nothing. Absolutely. The halftime, my watches aren't even wound. <laughs> it's going to be a great year. Amen. I want to ask you to do something. Not only come out Sunday because it's Resurrection Sunday, but bring somebody. If you know somebody that's maybe fallen away from the Lord or isn't saved, have them come and hear the good news. If you're watching and you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, or you're around, come on in. We're going to take communion together. We're going to take it as a family. On Passover, last week we studied Shabbat Hagadol, the great Shabbat. That's the Sabbath right before Passover. We're in Passover right now. And one of the reasons it's called the great Shabbat is that God gave the Sabbath in Genesis. But for 2,500 years, the Jewish people, the Israelites, did not celebrate it together. Some did, some didn't. But on the great Shabbat, when they brought the lamb to put the blood on their door, for the first time in history, all the family of God celebrated the great Sabbath together, the Lamb of God. There's something powerful in that. I mean, if you're watching around the world, we are so grateful you're watching. But if you can make it, if you're watching, get your stuff ready Sunday morning. But if you can make it, come be with your family. I think there's a very special anointing that's going to take place this Sunday. The power, the power of his resurrection. He got up. They tried to keep him down. They rolled a stone in front of it. But he got up. We're going to have a great Sunday. Amen. Father, we ask you to... 
receive our thanks and receive our praise and receive the glory that we give to you for giving us your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask you that you would release the power of the blood from the garden to the whipping post, to the crown, to the hands, to the feet, to the side, and taking the keys of life and death and bringing them and giving them to us through Jesus Christ. And Father, for all that you've done, we give you praise. For all that you're going to do, we give you glory. For what a mighty God we serve. And all God's people shouted, thank you for coming out. Thank you for joining us. Give the Lord a clap offering.